If Murray had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> America's <Yeah. laughs> So, you know, it gets back to what is the nature and purpose of the simulation? You know, maybe the, it is to see, like, like the, the nuclear war timeline that may have already happened with JFK and the Cuban Missile Crisis. Okay, guys, welcome back to the America Show. We are going to be chatting with past guest Rizwan Verk a little bit later about his new book, The uh, Simulated Multiverse. Fun chat with Rizwan. I believe he's over in India someplace. I don't. I don't think so. No. Oh no, that's right. He's in Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> you racist. <laughs> Busted. <laughs> Rizwan's always great. Like he's such an organic chat. You know, like he'll go into anything and like just chit chat about stuff. It's not like he has his spiel. You know that he that he does. Even though a lot of it's about his new book, I mean, he's he's just into so many different things. It's pretty cool. Why did I think he was in India? Who was I, I thinking know. of? I was thinking of someone else, clearly. Yeah, that's okay. It doesn't matter. I thought, uh, hmm. anyway. Yeah, Riz is great. He's able to, like, goes with the flow. He's, it's is always he's great. Is he a tech guru, maybe? Is he a tech guru? Well, I mean, I mean, I guess you could call him that. He's a successful entrepreneur, investor, futurist, best-selling author, video game industry pioneer, inside indie film oh, yeah. uh, producer. Yeah, yeah, we can call him a tech guru for sure. Yeah. Got a B- BS in computer science from MIT, an MS in management from Stanford. Um, he's working on a PhD. That'll be interesting. Researching metaverse and virtual worlds. So, I mean, he's like putting his education right into where his interest is. He was the founder of Play Labs at MIT, Startup Accelerator, held at the campus at the MIT Game Lab. Are you just doing the whole runs, bio now then? I'll just do the whole bio now, okay, yeah. Okay. He, he he runs the uh, Bayview Labs that is a venture partner, Griffin Gaming Partners, one of the largest gaming VC funds, and an advisor to Ridge Ventures. I mean, I'm not going to get into all this because he's doing a whole bunch of startups. He talks about blockchain Metaverse, simulation, UFOs, the intersection of science, science fiction, religion, and philosophy. He's got a podcast, The Simulated Universe, explores many of these issues at the edge of science and science fiction. Wow. Rizwan so, is yeah, I mean, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll leave it there. It's pretty uh, in depth. I'll put the, there's a link to his website, zenentrepreneur.com, in the show notes. But yes, uh, I would say Tech Guru is an apt description. We should get you a PhD in something. Yeah. No? No, I don't want it. Fuck it. No, I don't want it. Not interested? I don't Not even interested. Think, no? Nothing. Nothing, like, like nothing our, interesting well, oh, enough like to our, go want to like learn more past, about it. Past guest Stanton Friedman said, piled high and deeper. That's what his definition of PhD was. 
Well, I mean, you could still go get a PhD in something cool and like learn no, you can't cool stuff. Really. Like, in, it's funny. I was talking. What to if you became like a math whiz? That would suck. This sucks. Fuck, stupid. You know, like, come on, that'd be all if right. I, if I became a math whiz, or you could get a PhD in math. Math. <laughs> <laughs> what about your PhD in? Uh, I don't know. I I can't because I'm an I'm a, a de- dilettante. What's no, that? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I have a wide interest in all these different things. I have a narrow and but wide interest, a shallow but wide interest in many many things. But I can't dig deep into any one <laughs> thing. Just ruin everything. <laughs> Fuck! I wouldn't even be able to podcast. I, I mean, I can still podcast, and I'm an, <laughs> and I'm an uh, expert in I don't know steel. I guess. Just, just, yeah, it's just called shallow ground. Shallow, shallow. ground. Shallow but wide. Shallow and wide. <laughs> that is a great description. So this is where we just chit chat, you know, amongst ourselves. We get into listener emails and do some housekeeping, beg for support and all this before the interview that comes on later. And, and Darren puts a timestamp in the description so you can fast forward if you don't want to hear all our lazy ramblings where darren laughs at me usually i don't laugh at you i laugh with you buddy right right okay we're laughing together we're having a good laugh together so what do you got what do you got well i mean uh, i got a, been... i got a cool like article that's kind of like so here's the thing i went down there i was searching for the project operation we do a little project operation sometimes on this segment, and I've got a huge list of them, but I've tried to sort of line it up with the topic of today's guest. So I was looking up, you know, Project Stargate and Looking Glass and the, sort of the typical, more popular ones, because I thought if we could do one around like simulation or multiverse and see what the government's been looking into, I mean, maybe I could have done one, like I could have gone down the CERN rabbit hole, but, but I stumbled across... Um, this open culture article about, uh, and I just thought, you know what, this will be fun. And it's called, uh, Huxley to Orwell. My hellish vision of the future is better than yours from 1949. So yeah, that's, uh, that was my process and what I came up with. Are you going to read it or anything? Should I, or do you, do you have any questions or any comments before? Well, I, I was on? looking for a jingle, but I don't feel like I have anything that, uh, Fits, but I could throw on a nice little background music here while you read it. Oh, I don't think so. That'll distract me quite a bit. Really? Yeah. You're easily distracted, huh? Yeah. Huh. Interesting. That's my cat's scratching at the door to get is that, in. Is that like something like it's worse as you get older? Has that been an Oh, yeah, that? totally. Maybe yeah, we could totally. just take your headphones out and read it. You know what? I was, I mean, I was reading this great uh, article from. Manly P. Hall about concentration. Man, you would love a lot of his writings. Um, he talks about how important concentration is for success. Concentration caps? <laughs> <laughs> Single pointedness, you know, like the opposite of mindfulness. <laughs> that one. That, uh, you know, I uh, I see a lot of Manly P. Hall quotes that I like. I, yeah. I should... I would listen to one. I mean, I mean, I'll be honest, dude. I don't know if I could listen to you read me a book. Why? Oh, yeah, I, I told just, you you should have read it. You should listen so many to one and just podcasted with you. 
a thousand times almost. And <laughs> I love you. But I just don't know if I can take the book seriously if it was you reading to me. I think it's like we've soured the ability for me to listen to you and read a book. Well, I mean, you, I mean, really all you do is hear my fuck-ups. So that doesn't help when all you do is edit away my fuck-ups. I mean, that's probably part of it. Well, we used to work like together in a day job too. I've heard a lot of ground. <laughs> so what if I had like some background music going like this? That'd be too, that'd be too much. You know what? I, I can't really hear it, so that's fine. All right. Let's do it. So, in 1949, George Orwell received a curious letter from his former high school French teacher. So, Orwell had just published his groundbreaking book, 1984, which received glowing reviews from just about every corner of the English-speaking world. His French teacher, as it happens, was none other than Aldous Huxley. I didn't know that. I forgot about that. I didn't know that at, at all. Who taught at Eton for a spell before writing Brave New World. So, that was in 1931. The other great 20th century dystopian novel. So Huxley starts off the letter praising the book, describing it as profoundly important. He continues, the philosophy of the ruling minority in 1984 is, is a sadism, which has been carried to its logical conclusion by going beyond sex and denying it. Then Huxley switches gears and criticizes the book, writing, whether in actual fact the policy of the boot on the face can go on indefinitely seems doubtful. My own belief is that the ruling oligarchy... <clears throat> oligarchy. Yeah, thank you. ...will find less arduous and wasteful ways of governing and of satisfying its lust for power. And these ways will resemble those which I described in Brave New World. So basically, while praising it, he argues that the version of the future was more likely to... His version of the future was more likely to come to pass. So in Huxley's dystopic world state, the elite amused the masses into submission with a mind-numbing drug called Soma and an endless buffet of casual sex. Orwell's Oceana, on the other hand, keeps the masses in check with fear thanks to an endless war and a hyper-competent surveillance state. At first blush, they might seem like they're diametrically opposed, but in fact, an Orwellian world and a Huxley Huxleyan one are simply two different modes of oppression. Obviously, we are nowhere near either. Oh, my God. When was this written? Hang on a sec. Let me back up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is written in 2015. I wish I had the updated version from 2022. Let's see what they were saying in 2015. This is March 17th, 2015. Obviously, we are nowhere near either dystopic version, but the power of both books is that they tap into our fears of the state. <laughs> While Huxley might make you look askance at The Bachelor or Facebook, Orwell makes you recoil in horror at the government throwing around phrases like enhanced interrogation and surgical drone strikes. <laughs> so then they got a copy of Huxley's letter here, which is, uh, which is pretty cool. It's a cool read. He says, um, let me just pick out a couple things there. After the oligarchy phrase there, he says... Uh, I have had occasion recently to look into the history of animal magnetism and hypnotism and have been greatly struck by the way in which for 150 years the world has refused to take serious cognizant of the discoveries of Mesmer, Braid, Esdale, and the rest. Partly because of the prevailing materialism and partly because of prevailing respectability, 19th century philosophers and men of science 
were not willing to investigate the odder facts of psychology for practical men, such as politicians, soldiers, and policemen, to apply in their field of government. Thanks to the voluntary ignorance of our fathers, the advent of the ultimate revolution was delayed for five or six generations. Another lucky accident was Freud's inability to hypnotize successfully and his consequent disparagement of hypnotism. So just to stop for a sec, I love how Huxley's talking about the last 150 years. Like To me, going back to reading a lot of these old books, man, that's an important part of our history. This delayed the general application of hypnotism to psychiatry for at least 40 years. But now psychoanalysis is being combined with hypnosis, and hypnosis has been made easy and indefinitely extensible through the use of barbiturates, which induce a hypnoid and suggestible state in even the most recalcitrant subjects. So here, I'm just going to read this last paragraph, and then we'll, we'll stop it. Within the next generation, I believe that the world's rulers will discover that infant conditioning, so this is probably where it gets pretty scary, and narco-hypnosis are more efficient as instruments of government than clubs and prisons, and that the, last, the lust for power can be just as completely satisfied by suggesting people into loving their servitude as by flogging and kicking them into obedience. In other words, I feel that the nightmare of 1984 is destined to modulate into the nightmare of a world having more resemblance to that which I imagined in Brave New World. The change will be brought about as a result of a felt need for increased efficiency. Meanwhile, of course, there may be a large-scale biological and atomic war, in which case we shall have nightmares of other and scarcely imaginable kinds. Thank you once again for your book. Yours sincerely, Aldous Huxley. Interesting. There you have it. When was that written? What year? March 17th, 2015. I mean, interesting how he, at the end he talks about uh, biological and atomic war. Who wrote it? That was Huxley to Orwell. Huxley was still alive in 2015? No, no, no. This is an article from Open Culture. It's, uh, it's yeah. Sorry, I should have been more specific about that. Yeah, this this was written in 1949. The letter from Huxley to Orwell yeah, was right. Nineteen forty nine, yeah. Okay. Makes more sense. Yeah. All right. Well, did you say you had an oppo you wanted to do too? Yeah, that's well no, the, no, the, I got a quote. Not an oppo? No. That was kind of my oppo um that I ended up finding in my search for oppos. It's not your, really an oppo, but your, I don't know. I just felt that it was appropriate. Did you? Yeah. That's cute. Bingo, bango, social media jingle. Don't forget to rate, comment, and or subscribe to the crowd. Speaking of social media, you gotta make sure you post everything on the Facebook page. Post a bunch of your stuff you post on Instagram on Facebook because I'm okay. I'm not allowed. Are you? Uh, oh my god. For a long time. What? Well, 22 more days. 22 more days? What happened? Well, I got to This is Facebook? You got to, you're in Facebook jail? 
I'm in Facebook jail. Yes. A month. So that month. still allows me to post, though? I think we talked about this already. Yes. I know. I feel, I'm getting deja vu. Yeah, but... Uh, this feels like a new band, though. Is this a new jail term? Maybe. This is one I got because I asked if said that I would consider trading a Glock for a carbine. A carbine? That's it. That was the that was the post. It's a carbine. Oh, then to I make said wheat? DM me what, if what's interested. What's a carbine to make wheat? To make uh, a carbine is a gun. Yeah. Oh, it's like I a nine millimeter rifle. You're talking about? Oh, <laughs> I saw that. I saw that post. Yeah. So you, you talk about trading guns in Canada and get banned from Facebook? That's what. That's where we're at. It seems to be a Facebook thing. Yeah. Wow. In every country, maybe. Like not a warning or nothing. Just bang. Thirty days after all the shit I posted, I'm. That's kind so of, Orwellian. I mean Huxleyan. I mean Orwellian. Huxleyan. You didn't get it. I got it. It just. Sucked. He mentioned Facebook <laughs> in there. <laughs> Huxley. It's so. Huxley. So then, so then, let's talk about. Uh, that's like Huscular. So we've been shadow banned on Instagram too. I noticed it's just not really? going like it usually does. So I don't know I what it was because did I didn't Instagram do anything. I didn't do time. anything like what? I figured you were shadow banned on Instagram like two years ago. No, no, I, I, it goes, comes and goes, right? It, they let it go and then they, they bring it back. Hmm. So just noticing. I don't know what it was this time that the trigger. That's how they fuck you. That's how they do it. <laughs> up and down, up and down. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was shadow banned on Instagram from the get-go, so. And we've been shadow banned on Twitter for a couple of years. I'm actually banned on Facebook. But you can still post on Facebook. So How's our YouTube, how's our YouTube thing doing? Because I check. think we had, a, we had a strike down there that we were trying to get over. That was from talking about scalar healing. Well, I don't know what it was. I'm talking about, but it was in our scalar healing episode. We got, uh, I don't know. We got, um, was that the scalar one? The Tom, yeah. uh, wasn't it? Wasn't it the Tom Palladino? Or, no, yeah. was it? Yeah. 597? Yep. Someone posted a bunch of mushrooms and chocolate bars and pills a bunch of times over and over and over again. And it's from the username Buy from Dan. So what do you, what does that mean? I think what do you, I don't someone selling drugs on our YouTube page. Is that what that's what we got in trouble for? No, we got in trouble for oh. something we said. Oh. Probably about COVID. Um, hmm. We got from Michael Michelades. Fascinating yeah, conversation, Michael. but please, please, please read Peter Kingsley and his writings on Apollo. Nice. Is the emoji with the thing on it a dickhead? With the thing you on know, it? the emoji with the, the yellow thing coming off it? I'm not it's sure. It's like half honest. a face. I don't know. Uh, that's really all I got. Huh. YouTube was a bad place to go because none of our stuff got posted there. Oh, what? We can't even post stuff on YouTube right now? Not when you're on suspension. Oh, my God, dude. What? 
Well, I think the last. Not that I mean, not that we really rely on it or care, but it's just it's annoying because I thought that our our podcasts were still getting posted there on with audio only. Well, just not while well, you're on strike. You and then do we go back? Are we allowed to go back and post all those old ones? Then, if you did it manually, you, manually you could do that. Okay, we should talk about that because it's probably a good idea. We should talk about it. Yeah, I'll all do right. that. Here we go. On the Putin speech, top quality content, making information meant to be buried front and center and and a more and in a more digestible format. English. Daily news is for cucked beta slaves. That of course was your Putin speech. How'd you like it? Uh it was it was uh, interesting. Yeah, very good. Very good. Interesting. I don't want to say you know, I don't want to say the wrong thing here, but I mean it was interesting. People should know people should hear it. Why not? You know. Are you self censoring? Are you policing your own speech? Well, I'm trying not to. But it seems like you just did. Okay, can I can I just uh, can you you're say ruining, how you're you ruining something. I'm ruining what? something. I'm yeah. ruining. I'm ruining. You got, you got this big. You've got this big fucking reveal plan or something. <laughs> and I'm fucking it up. <laughs> to the Facebook page, I had posted the pic. Oh, you're not gonna like this because I had posted those pictures that you got mad about. The pictures of us podcasting the first night with Dad. Yeah, whatever. I need to lose some weight. That's fine. And you got mad at me. Yeah. But so Paul commented. Graham is always in shorts because he's still a hockey player at heart and is used to the cold. Then Darren with the porn stash is just too perfect. Stay classy, boys. I don't think you look fat in those pictures. Well, maybe the one. Yeah, usually you you're pretty good at making. I don't try and do that. I just like it's not my fault, dude. Don't blame me. I know I'm not. That's, a, that's I'm trying to take responsibility for that. I mean, it's just that you could be a little bit more discerning. Well, when you, when, with dude, I'd be waiting post. all day. <laughs> and I said, I have a signal, and you can like. <gasps> I mean, at least get some like cab flexing in there. Well, all right. Take away from my gut. I'll see. I'm going back do. on the carnivore diet here pretty quick. Um, as soon as my mom leaves, I um, have where I'm allowed to take someone wanna, to the gym for free. Do I don't want to go to the gym. I just oh, want to go okay. on the carnivore diet workout at home. I I got lots of work to do from home. Something happened at the gym? No, dude. I no. Just, no. Like the heart no. yoga incident? Nothing like that? No, that's that's long gone. That, I'm not traumatized from that at all. Huh. Darren's talking about when I almost burned down a yoga studio with uh, a towel and a pot light. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what episode that was. All right, so you're going to go back on the carnivore diet? Yeah. All right. I'll hold you to that. Yeah. What do you, when? When do you start? Uh, Thursday. Thursday. All right. And you're going to work out at home? Yeah. All right. We'll see. You can do it. Winter's coming. All right. doing it for the cognitive thing now that I think back. And, and we met Rick. Uh, we stayed at Rick's place there. Uh, we were, no, we didn't stay there, but we were hanging out with him. And he was on it too. And it's just, I don't know. And I was listening to Ivor Cummins recently and it's, there's a real cognitive thing there too. I want to get, I want to get that feeling back. I want to get that back to see if I really notice a difference. You want to feel smart again. Well, no, it's not even smart. It's inspired, 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 I guess would be the word. (laughs) Inspired. Yeah. You better do something. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) 
um, uh, what's the other word I'm looking for? What What is it when you're inspired? Um, no, when you're like a go getter kind of thing. When you're what's that called? Like you're not a hustler, but uh, uh, you know, you know the word I'm thinking of. Right? I See, I can't even think of words right now. I mean, this is how <laughs> bad it is. I don't know. I don't know what words you're thinking of. Like uh, I'm a hustler, baby. Like uh, ambitious, ambitious. ambitious. No, 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 I'm not. I just, I think that that really steps it up a notch. Like I'm, I'm just looking forward to trying it again to see if I really notice a difference. Interesting. Yeah. Well, like I think I was prepared to make a lot of changes in life, had a different outlook a little bit. You did seem I a little more car- upbeat. I think the carbs um, and the, the sugar and the veggies, uh, slows me down imagine that well they slow us all down i guess but i mean yeah i don't know i just use coffee but i mean honestly i i have a hard time with the animal thing i i do have a there's a conflict within me with the animals i mean reading a lot of these old spiritual books like these these guys even manly p hall and these people are talking about like they were like manly what? We I mean, they were vegetarians that. back. Th- what? Good for him. He's a globalist, too. Is he? Uh, Is it sure seems like it, what I'm hearing. Oh, my God. Would you send me some of that then so I can use it for content? Because I, I really what would I'm like hearing. to know. I know, but I tell me when you're hearing these things. Oh, okay. I mean, I'm sure it, it comes up all the time. Every time I post a Malik P. Hall something, it comes up. You know, he's yeah. blah, 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 Yeah, blah, blah. I know, but they, I think a lot of them are misunderstood. I mean, I, I see what they mean on some levels, but I'd like to know specific things because well, people do can't it? seem to give you specific instances. Why don't you things. do six months carnivore and then six months vegan? No, I, well, that's no, what I was thinking of doing. Vegan. I was thinking of doing, not vegan, vegetarian. No, no, I'm not vegan. doing vegan. vegan. No, no. You can't do half. You can't fucking, you can't get halfway pregnant. You can't get a little bit pregnant. And the problem is we have these trips like going to Egypt and I can't, I can't do like, I'm going to just get off at the diet anyways from Egypt. So, I mean, it's hard. It's hard. I can't do it full bore. Like but you that. just have to do You just have to go when you get back from Egypt, go full bore on the carnivore just for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Cause once you get to a spot, cause I feel like I can almost eat whatever I want as long as I'm exercising. Yeah, but you've, I've got 10 years on you, so. Yes. And now I have to do it all. I have to exercise pounds. and eat a hundred, eat way, way better. Like, it's everything you have to do that much better. I think I'm like 175, 180. You're not that much heavier than me. This is a little shorter. This wider and more shallow. Yes. It'd be an easier grave to dig. It'd be like more dirt, but not as deep. It's like. <laughs> Well, actually, it will be deep, too, motherfucker. It'll be deep and wide. And it'll just be a short one. I don't just want to be Just cremate me. That'll just... That'll well, just it. live that'll... until we can get you some pills. I mean, you got, you're good for another 20 years. Oh, yeah. I got lots of time. Maybe Not 30, worried about that. 30. 30, you might feel a little, 30. like, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Be, like, pinching asses when girls walk by. Hey. <laughs> All right, you got a quote? I got a quote. You going to do the jingle? Thought I did. I think I got everything 
work it again. It's the profound quote of the week. Darren, can you guess it? It's the profound quote of the week. Are you just podcasting from there forever now? Can you guess the human who spoke Well, I'd rather be in the in, na- in, na- in the middle of nowhere in nature. I mean, I'm, you know. But like, I mean, you're not like coming back into this studio. I don't know. I mean, you don't seem to want me there, so. I want just, you here. I don't want you here. You're blaming me. You're blaming yeah, me. It's, it's like, you might as well just stay at home today. You might as well just stay oh, at home. Oh, yeah. That's, that's how it <laughs> happened. Well, it's just a big room. Yeah, it's a big room for just me. We will, def- have a we will defend our land with all the forces and resources we have, and we will do everything we can to ensure the safety of our people. This is the great liberating mission of our nation. In certain countries, the ruling elites voluntarily agree to do this. So this is like, uh, I'm skipping ahead a little bit. This is a different part here. It was going to be a second quote, but I'm just going to include it right now. Voluntarily agree to become vassals. Others are bribed or intimidated. And if this does not work, they destroy entire states, leaving behind humanitarian disasters, devastation, ruins, millions of wrecked and mangled human lives, terrorist enclaves, social disaster zones, protectorates, colonies, and semi-colonies. They don't care. All they care about (laughs) is their own benefit. <laughs> uh, so you can hear that you can hear that whole speech in Grimerica Outlawed. It's hey, a whole wait, other so I was going to guess Putin. Is it Putin? Yeah, yeah I knew it's, it. It's part of the, it's part of the speech. Can you do yeah. it with Russian accent. It's, it's it's honestly worth a listen. It's it's really worth listening. It's only what about forty eight uh, minute long episode. It includes Matt Eretz. Um, Matt Eretz is it's his stub Substack. And it says, uh, you know, Putin's historic speech must be experienced in full. And he's got a little uh, essay at the beginning, just introducing it. And then there's a, and then there's a transcript of the whole thing. What's so funny? <laughs> I just had a mental <laughs> picture when he said he has a little essay. Read <laughs> so it's totally worth listening to it. I mean, whatever, he, you know, I'm not going to say anything else. Just for information purposes. That's it. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's on Outlaw. That's a whole other podcast feed, Grand America Outlaw. Yeah. What about support? Do you want to go? What? What? Oh, wow. We didn't talk about support yet. We need. No, support. we need support. I mean, we need support. Like, look, we've lost uh, quite a percentage of support from PayPal, and I mean, we're already like, I, I'm not. This is what I do now full time, and it's tight. So, this is kind of. I don't know. I mean, we even went out to, you know, we do some traveling at our own expense. Uh, nobody's paying for that. It's not covered. It's just what we do here in Grand America. We're putting out lots of audiobooks, lots of podcasts, but PayPal's taking a chunk out of that for sure. So there is still a bunch of ways to support on Grand America, right? At GrandAmerica.ca, there's a Patreon. Slash support. Is if you want to use that, there's PayPal. There's also Stripe on that. Um, one time and monthlies. And cryptos. And cryptos. I really don't like cryptos, so I'll be honest. I mean, we, we're not even adverse to, like, books with stuff in the middle of them. You know what I mean? Guns. There's a P.O. box on the... Uh, Guns no, and books? No. No, no. Oh. Don't say that word. Cash? 
<clears throat> don't you don't have to say anything just leave it at that i feel like we need to say something dude people have sent dirty socks to the p.o box well dirty socks don't understand that it's in, code but... for weed yeah right. i know so I'm telling weed, you, 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 there's no like we can't we can't you just gotta say you can put cash, cash in a books. book you can put cash probably in an envelope and no one will really notice. But if they could like see it, they'll just steal it because it's illegal. Well, books, we've got a shelf in the studio studio full of books. It's always good to keep collecting real books. So when shit goes down, we got lots of stuff to read. Or start fires with. Imagine having to pick them like worst to the best. <laughs> Which one do you want to burn first? <laughs> I do this. I could, I could, I'll, I'll, I could make those decisions. <laughs> Are you coming over here after the apocalypse? Well, I think I'm, I I might have to come over yeah, there for you it. Should, yeah. yeah, you yeah. might have to. What's your backup plan? I'll bring my bow. I my backup. Well, it depends on uh, where my family's at at the time. So interesting. Yeah. Is there a BC? Then you're coming here. But no, more like Maria, and that if, if she's here, oh. we'll see what happens. I don't know. Well, I don't want to. You know, we Cure. don't want to talk about those details. Those plans, we don't want to get into the details. No, we don't want people knowing. Last time, yeah, we don't get inside. Shh. I'll come to your house. Okay. All right. What else you got? Oh, so you didn't let me guess a quote, but so yeah, you yeah, can you support you all did. those you different you ways. Guess it. You guessed it. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it was easy. Actually, I was going to guess like Winston Churchill or something. <laughs> Once you, <laughs> as soon as you said I could listen to the whole speech someplace, I knew. <laughs> so, um, and you can support on Stripe. That's the big one. That's the big one is to go over to Stripe. You can go to Outlawed. But yeah, we took, you know, a measurable hit from this PayPal fiasco. So if you quit PayPal, if you go to Stripe, That'd be fantastic. Or it's hard. Other things. It's hard because we don't like PayPal either. I mean, we were trying to sort of insulate ourselves a little bit from it, but it's so easy and so many people use it. I mean, it's hard to, I mean, even guys like Tim Poole got I hammered. I think it's from in it. the and service he, agreement that we can't disparage PayPal. Did I say, did I say we didn't like it? You Fuck. That. Well, that, that's okay, right? That we don't joke. like it. I mean, we do like it. We love okay. We love PayPal. We love PayPal. We like PayPal. We love you. But, we love you. but you know what I mean? Like, it's, so I, there's a, you know, there was talked about on Noah Jen. I think they didn't realize it because John pissed a bunch of people off in his newsletter because he called them virtue signaling. And I mean, I don't think people canceling their PayPal is virtue signaling. I think you're virtue signaling when you don't mean what you're doing. You just do it for the optics. I don't think people are bragging about that necessarily. I mean, maybe that might be considered virtue signaling. But the point that Adam made and other people have talked about is... um People are afraid that they're coming after them. It's not just the content creators, but they're protecting themselves. That's the big, I think that's why so many people started leaving it. Well, all the content creators took a hit across the board. I bet you and the Forex pissed. And it makes you think that, I bet it makes oh, you yeah. think that, like you said, is that it's engineered? I mean, you know, all is. they'd have to do is just throw that little bit of thing out there. Hey, look what the new terms of service are going to be in. Boom. All the independent people take a hit. Anyway, grammarica.ca slash support. Sign up for PayPal or Stripe. 
There's a stripe is right there. There's a little button like right beside the thing. The thing's there where it's like if you're on a mobile, maybe it's above it or below it. But there's the PayPal and then right under that or beside that, it says, if you don't like PayPal, use these. Great. Easy peasy. I think that's about it. You got anything else? Yeah. Another way to support the show is go to uh, adultbrain.ca. All the uh, all the uh, all the uh, audiobooks we do are on that page, and it takes you to Audible and other places. And that's a good way to support the show. If you don't have money or anything, you can give us reviews. Reviews on iTunes helps. Sign up for the newsletter for sure. We don't do a, a newsletter quite often, so we're not bugging you all the time. It's just every now and then. And uh, reviews on the books, the audiobooks helps a lot. Obviously, with our with algorithms. So, yeah, that's that's it. That's it. That's how we do. Uh, those trips, contact with Kevin.com. We have that fantastic trip coming up Mount Shasta. Greg Carwood of the Higher Side Chats. Brandon Powell, Owen Hunt, Joe Roop. We are going to be having a time down at Mount Shasta. There's a bunch of camp spots left. There's a few other spots left, too. Just get in on that shit. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be a great time. And then, of course, we have the Utah event. See the stars with the likes of Dave Matheson. Brandon Powell's there as well. We have a great time. Zion Canyon, Bryce Canyon, side-by-sides. Graham does the, what did you do, the Narrows? The Narrows? Well, I mean, I I did that, but I drove everybody to Zion. We did a hike there. But, I mean, I think we'll do a different one, maybe. Or switch drivers, at least. Yeah. Why don't you come on the side by side? I mean, I think it'll just be whatever everybody wants to do, really. See if we'll I have I think we'll have somebody like even on that flex day we'll have a van available. I would like to have a van available for people and I'll drive them wherever they want. There you go. Contact at the cabin.com. Get in on one of those events. Other than that, I think it's time we jump into it. You did the bio already, right? So we're not gonna do yep. that. Yeah. So enjoy the chat, guys, with Rizwan Vert. Welcome back to Grey America. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me on again. Great, great to be here. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's going to be fun. Darren and I love this simulated simulated talk, and I mean, I, even though I can hardly comprehend it, I mean, you're, I read your book, uh, The Simulated Multiverse, um, and it, yeah, it's it's a, a bit over my head, but I mean, it's it's definitely uh, definitely great to talk about this stuff. I just called the universe a simulation today, and I can't. Oh wait, no, I'm not going to say why. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> but 
not on the show, but I did see evidence today that made me think that the universe might be a simulation. <laughs> we all have those days where we think things are uh, a simulation. Uh, we, uh, sometimes we see different versions of what that simulation could be like. Well, what about the fact that we seem to be headed into a, a recession? And uh, that team just came back. I, I don't know the exact details of what happened, but they came back from like 7 nothing to win. They scored seven runs in the last inning or something to win. And this has only happened twice before in the history of Major League Baseball. Once was October of 1929, and once was October of 2008. And now oh, again, yeah, I, did, I didn't know that. In the <laughs> October of 2022. Well, here we are. Yeah, it does seem like we're at a strange time. And as the Chinese say, you know, may you live in interesting times. It definitely feels like that. We're recipients of that curse, if you will. I mean, yeah. that is a great example, though, because we talk about these compound synchronicities on the show, and it really makes you feel like we're in a, a computer world. You're like, how do all these dates and these weird things line up? Because it can't even be by human uh you know, uh, human in, in intention. It just seems like it's got to be almost divine or something. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a there's a term for uh, a synchronicity that occurs using technology. It's called a technological synchronicity. And uh, you know, I first heard this from Jacques Vallée, who, who you guys might know, yeah. uh, and D Diana uh, Walsh Pasoka, uh, who wrote American Cosmic. And so they both talk about it. And you know, the best way to understand it is, you know, if we're if you're shopping for, say, sneakers or a backpack, like I was shopping for a backpack the other day on my computer and then on my phone, I, I bring up Facebook and then I see, you know, an ad for a backpack and I'm like, what's going on? And it's an ad for that exact website that I was on. Now, if I didn't know that there was some technological piece behind the scenes that allows that there's something called a cookie that gets recorded, but there's also this database in the cloud that's keeping track of all these cookies and, and relating them to who you are. It would look like, you know, uh, a synchronicity in the sense that it's something that you can't see the causal relationship. Uh, but of course, with computers, we know what that could be like. With the universe, we don't know what those are. But if it is a simulation, then it makes more sense that there actually is a mechanism to keep track of all these things that, that allows us to start seeing things that well, might bring back certain thoughts. You know? Sometimes with my phone, it's even more fucked up than that because it's like I haven't said, I haven't said nothing to another fucking human. It's reading your And thoughts. I'll go to start typing in something like obscure, you know, not like something that Google should be. There's no way. And I'm not even using Google. Now I'm using Bing. But there's no way. AI there's no way that it should pick up on this because it's completely obscure. And, I'll, and then I'm like driving by myself is when it's it, usually it's because I'm by myself and I'll just be like, oh, I should check for that thing over here. And I'll get like two letters and it'll complete the whole three words or something. And just like right there. Bang. And it's right. just like, and you know what it is? I've had this fucking iPhone for a long time now. And I don't know how long it's been tracking, but, and yeah. it's always a new phone, but I always like upload the old thing. I upload the old, you know, it's always, it's always getting backed up and redone. So this thing is like, it can understand my slurred speech when even my friends can't understand me on the phone. And no, I'm telling you, I can just be like, not even looking because I'm driving or something. I'm just like mashing the keyboard with my thumb and it just figures it out. 
But the downside <laughs> of that is that, you know, it's it's starting to know how I think I can you can start to see how that movie Her happens, right? Where that uh Yakeem Phoenix falls in love with his phone and she breaks his heart and all that shit. I could see this getting there. If this I don't talk to my phone. I'm a, I don't do that for for almost this exact reason because the AI is going to get so good your phone's going to be flirting with you. <laughs> and it's going to get to a weird place if it don't all fall, fall apart. You know, it could go either way. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I'm uh, I'm teaching a class at Arizona State University about the metaverse. And one of our modules was about AI avatars, right? So, you know, when we're in video games, we have our avatars, which we're controlling. And then you have the NPCs, who are the, the avatars in there. And, you know, how good will they get? And so we, I had them watch her. You know, as an example of um, you know of, of an AI, and that was a chatbot. Uh, you know, it was based off of a chatbot, right? Uh, originally, the guy who created the film uh, what was his name. He was Spike Jones or something. Uh, he had seen this chatbot that was online back in the '90s, where you could type in something and it would try to convince you that it was a human. And so he figured this is where where it's going. And so he made that uh, that movie. Well, it turns out that chatbot is also the uh, I don't know, ancestor, I guess, of, of some chatbots that are out there now, one of which is called Kuki.ai, K-U-K-I.ai. And I, I had the, the founder of that company, Lauren Kunze, on my podcast. And at the end, I did uh, I did an interview with Kuki.ai. <laughs> and so I posted that as a YouTube clip. So if you search for like my last name, Verk, and Kuki.ai, you could probably find it out there. But yeah, I mean, the AI is getting better and better. I mean, it's not quite there yet, obviously, where, where her was. But in this case, there's an avatar that looks pretty realistic. If you're talking to them, there's a personality. Now, they specifically, if you try to flirt with it, they specifically cut you off. So they have cookie cut you off. But there are other firms out there creating like like replica that has oh, your, I not bet just you your AI friend, all but your kinds. AI relationship. I bet yeah, there's all kinds. All kinds. <laughs> there's way more money going into that than there is to the ones that don't want to fuck you. For sure. <laughs> I hate to even bring this story up, but I mean, since we're on this topic, Darren, do you remember just last week and a couple of days ago? Wait, what are you bringing up? The story about the uh, the avatar that Buddy chose in his game and and the people. Oh yeah, I I missed I missed. Uh, Should I tell it? You well, don't give out any names, but I missed well, the, the most this, of that. I didn't understand why everyone was laughing so hard because I so, like came in halfway I mean, through. It's kind of got to do with what we're talking about, so I might as well mention it. just happened a couple of days ago, but this guy, a buddy of ours, told us the story about how he's addicted to these uh, multiplayer online games and stuff. And then this one game, he he created this avatar. He became a wizard, This and it was a, a black woman with big boobs and a big booty, and, and he became this wizard. But people treated him, all the men treated him differently, um, and they didn't realize that he was a man, but he was playing a woman avatar. And he made a point never to sort of flirt with him. Like he didn't want to be any, like any kind of overt sort of sexualization, nothing, nothing like that. But in the end, this guy fell in love with her and uh, he came over from like, he was this Viking guy that came over from Sweden and he was with his, this group of guys. And I guess somebody broke into this guy that <laughs> you're, uh, you're, you're the real person behind his avatar is like a, this tough MMA fighter dude. And, <laughs> And he ball he broke down completely, broke down, crying and bawling, and and uh, and that was just what our, our buddy needed to like exit the whole game thing. And he's like, "That's it, I'm out of here." Like, and he gave, I guess he gave the avatar this avatar wizard who would become this high level wizard in this game uh, to the Viking guy. Oh, so 
Well, you know, it's interesting because you can you really can see these relationships forming. There's a new documentary on HBO that came out just like last month called We Met in Virtual Reality. And <laughs> it's about VR chat, which, you know, it's like a, a, a multiplayer game, uh, but it's with uh, VR headsets. And, you know, these people would like fall in love and have relationships. Uh, and, you know, you'd be talking, you know, on audio. So you'd kind of have a sense of it. And, you know, this started with Second Life back in the 2000s. I remember, and there's a whole there was a whole movie like Life 2.0, where people like they're getting divorces because they're having this online relationship with somebody else in the virtual world, and so the, there's a whole lot of that that's going on, and people are wondering about it, you know, with the metaverse moving forward. But it gets back to what is your identity, right? Uh, and how do people perceive you? <laughs> uh, and 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 that was a, sort of an old exercise that in this field that you do is you, you, you like take an avatar that's a different you know, gender and then you see how people react to you and it's pretty different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I should change I was, one of my profile pics to a hot chick. See what happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. You're going to see a lot it's of stuff. Dark, you probably don't want to see. Dark right road. It's probably a dark road. Yeah. Just start with a hot guy first, Darren. I am a hot guy. So <laughs> I got enough problems. I'm kicked off of uh, <clears throat> I'm kicked off again so this That's time for a long time I think probably long enough that I'll just quit going on altogether oh there you go it worked <clears throat> it worked yeah but this one was super tame I can't believe that's what they got me on Right? Can you believe it? Kicked off of social media? Is that yeah, yeah. I got kicked, kicked off of Facebook. It was Facebook oh. again? Yeah. Again. Well, speaking wow. of the metaverse, so you're not even allowed in the metaverse. I, I am persona non grata I mean, yeah. in the metaverse. <laughs> as soon as he goes in, he's going to be hunted down by people in the metaverse. Yeah. Why is that well, linked to my Facebook called... account? I'm going to rest it in the metaverse. Yeah, so just keep it going just for the metaverse so you can play around in there. There you go. I'm well, not interested. A, there's a company called SideQuest, and they let you take the Oculus Quest and basically load applications that Facebook won't allow. And so, you know, it's kind of an alternate app store. Like, they've had them on the iPhone on Google, but this is the first one, really, that seems to be getting some traction so that you can wow. get around a lot of their, you know, their restrictive policies on what they allow. Wow, really? So there's going to be, like, underground meta metaverse then? That really sounds like way more my style, like parking garage <laughs> metaverse. So, like, three stories underground in the back corner of a parking garage. That's where this is my metaverse. Buying fucking used guns. <laughs> I did. I did try. I was supposed to have a UFO discussion with a guy, and and we met in that in that in that. Um, there's a. I I can't even remember that. I should have been prepared for this. Um, so did you have to a, wear the, uh, your headset? Yeah, and I talked to these people. Like there would be a guide. He'd come around and show me. Like okay, where do you want to go? And I guess we could put like a Grimerica ad in the virtual auditorium or whatever. No, there's a virtual no, no. like what? Yeah, a sales that. place. And we're not doing but the that. the meeting fell through, and like I never ended up having it. We were supposed to do a show in that. I guess in that metaverse. I'm trying to if I if I remember the name of it, I'll I'll, I'll let you know. But it it seems like it's come along. I mean, you're basically on a campus in VR, but you're you know, you can talk through your mic and through your thing and you just pick your your avatar. I have one too. We should do that sometime. Uh, do a show we, in the metaverse. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Not not like to, a bunch, but maybe one. We could do one in the metaverse. That thing gives me a headache after a little while. 
Yeah. You can also do it without the VR headset. Like there are metaverses where your avatars, you know, like meeting places uh, where you can do, you can, you know, like Decentraland or Spatial.io. There's a bunch of them out there now. Is that more 2D then? That's like more of a 2D experience? It's on your screen. So it's a 2D experience, but it's 3D and just like the video games where the the avatars are in 3D. And there's something, you know, there's something called Ready Player Me where you take a picture of yourself. And then it generates an avatar that looks kind of like you, if if that's what you want to do. Right? Um, and you know, there's there's something called a Proteus effect, I think, where they would watch people create avatars, and, and many of them wanted an avatar that kind of looked like them. But of course, they'd make it look better, or you know, whether it's taller for men or <laughs> whatever the case would be. So it's interesting. Oh yeah, my guy would be tall for sure. Why? <laughs> well, Why would be a bit more muscular, I think. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So how close are we? Because isn't that one of the main VR kind of uh, uh, laws or phrases that once we're in a world that we can't distinguish from our own, um, you can't, you have to accept that we're in a simulated universe or something like that? Yeah. So, you know, the idea is that as our technology advances, we will, we will eventually get to what I call the simulation point, which is the point at which we can create these virtual experiences that are indistinguishable from physical reality. Kind of like in the Matrix, right? I mean, in the Matrix, Neo and Trinity, they were plugged in with the wire in the back of their head, uh, and they couldn't really distinguish between the two. And so in in like my first book, in, in the simulation hypothesis, I laid out the 10 stages or so of how to get there. And, and of course, people ask me, when do you think we'll get there? And I said, well, you know, 100 years at the most, right? Uh, some people think it's a lot sooner than that. Uh, and so, but, but in my case, I'm talking about full immersion and full AI. So you've got like these autonomous characters in there that you can't tell if they're human or not. And then also, you know, you've got this ability to send in the signal directly to the brain. So we're at least a couple decades away from that kind uh, of immersion. But then the argument goes that if we can get there, let's say we get there in a hundred years. Okay. Think of that in terms of you know human civilization, or since we made the computer, it's only like 150 years since we made the computer, right? At that point, well, that's like a blink of an eye in cosmic time, right? So who's to say that another civilization hasn't already gotten there? Uh, and they've done this long, they did this maybe a million years ago, right? Uh, and so you know, a guy named Nick Bostrom at Oxford came up right. with a simulation argument. Or said it's you know one of three things, but we'll, we'll, we'll boil it down to two. One is civilization destroys itself before it gets to that point, so nobody ever gets there. And the second option is it one civilization at least gets there, and if it does, it's going to create a whole bunch of simulated worlds, and in those, it's going to create billions or trillions of simulated AI beings. And so, just statistically speaking, there's only one physical world. There's like a billion simulated worlds with trillions of simulated beings. So which are you most likely to be? <laughs> uh, just statistics says, well, you're more likely to be one of those because there's a lot more of those than that. And, and so that is what led, leads to that logic that got, got Elon Musk to say a few years back, that the chances that we're in base reality, which means the chances we are not in a simulation are like one in billions, which means it's billions to one the other way <laughs> that we're most yeah, likely yeah. in a simulation. But yeah. that hinges on if a civilization can ever get there. And it's pretty certain, I think, that we can get there in, in 50 years, 100 years, 150 maximum. So then someone's probably already gotten there. 
I, I speaking of that, I got a weird question for you too. I mean, you're the perfect probably guy to ask this, but I, I have a pet, a pet theory about why Elon wants to buy Twitter. And I feel like he needs a, he wants a database, a data set or database of humanity or a section of humanity to upload to his neural link or something, or to upload to whatever he plans on doing. Um, and, and he can't like the way Twitter is right now, or the way anything is right now, it's sort of biased. It's all over the place. Like if you were Elon and you wanted to upload a representation of humanity, you'd have to have a pretty fair representation, right? Not with a bunch of bias and censorship. So he wants to clean it up, get it all like as accurate as possible and then upload it all. Well, that's an interesting theory. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I mean, he's, you know, one of the proponents of AI uh, and that the AI, you know, he just introduced his robot recently. I don't know if you saw the robot. It doesn't, didn't seem to walk very well on stage. This was just like like two weeks ago, I think. Or yeah, one I didn't ago. see it. No. It was the Tesla robot, which is right, a right, well, opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the whole thing with AI is what do you train it on? And this is why, like, I remember Microsoft created a, a bot that it tra trained on Twitter and it started swearing at people <laughs> making racist comments because basically that's what people do on Twitter. <laughs> so it basically learned. And so, you know, you've got a point there. So, you know, the way Elon Musk is going to be training Tesla cars for full self-driving in the future is in a virtual environment. So they've created like a full virtual San Francisco because oh it's a lot easier God. to train the car there. And, you know, if it makes mistakes, so what? And so if you want to train AI, you got to think about what is the data set. I personally think we'll have a virtual AI inside a virtual world. That's, that's the first real, you know, like the her type the artificial general intelligence, because it'll have a body, even though it's virtual, it'll be in a physical space from its perspective, even though it's just virtual from our perspective. But that allows us to interact with it in a way that when it says, I did this, or I did that, it has a sense of self, which AI doesn't today, because it's just code running somewhere, right? Um, so, so yeah, that's interesting. He would need the best data, and maybe that would be the best data, <laughs> if it was honest, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah, virtual sex, can you have virtual sex in there too? In the metaverse? Yeah. yeah there are, yes. Yeah, go to Second Life. I mean, I haven't been in it in about a decade, but Second Life was the first proto-metaverse. And, uh, you know, what you'd find is there were like corners of it, which was just avatars having, like, like you would have these, like if you're in a dance club, you could click on this uh, this uh, thing on the floor and it would say, okay, which dance do you want to do? Slow dance, fast dance or whatever. And then they'd have couches where you could sit with someone, you could cuddle with someone, and they'd have all these sexual things in there. <laughs> Those are probably the most popular uh, pieces of furniture. <laughs> and it would like get your avatar. So there was a whole lot of that back in the day, but I assume it's still still going on now. When, when, when you have a virtual headset, you know, that, introduces a whole new level potentially of experience that's where that probably that side quest uh, you need virtual underwear in. too i suppose yeah some haptics some wearable haptics yeah absolutely so there's a lot of companies working on on, on different haptic things so that you can kind of try to feel what's going on there's a company called tesla suit have you ever heard of that they, no. they, uh, it's like a full body suit you put on and it can do it has two modes one is it can record the sensations based upon electrical signals and muscular stimulation with, with electrical signals. And they created it, in, I think companies in the UK, and they had a rugby, like a big rugby player, like tackle somebody. <laughs> and they recorded the sensation of what it's like to be tackled with a rugby player. And then you can put that on and you could feel like what it's, what it's like to, to be tackled. And so you know, the haptic stuff is coming. It's, it's not there yet, but it's, it's definitely coming. 
almost at Ready Player One, I guess. You know, that's crazy. Yeah, because with Ready Player One, in fact, you know, when he when he wrote that, there were no commercially available headsets, and there was very little haptic stuff. And that was in 2010 or 11 that it came out. And now there's a ton of them. And so he wrote Ready Player Two, which came out last year, I think, or the year before last. And then he said, okay, I got to make sure that you, you know, technology doesn't catch up so quickly. <laughs> so he jumped ahead and made it with this neural interface where you could feel stuff, which, you know, will take a little while for us to get there. Mm-hmm. But, but we're definitely on that road, you know, with their haptic gloves. Uh, there are some companies that like look at your sweat and they can figure things out. I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing. It, it'll, it'll take a while. It's not like next year, but it, it, it'll get there. I think. That's so basically the Neuralink then? Well, the haptic stuff is will come before the Neuralink. So the haptic stuff is more like you put on, you know, gloves or you put on a bodysuit like in Ready Player One, and then you can kind of feel what's going on. And it, it's like a motion capture suit in a way too, right? Like if you remember in that movie, he was running on that treadmill, and then his avatar was actually running. But then the next stage is Neuralink type stuff where you can read signals and then you can send signals into the brain and there are companies now which you know you can like move with your mind you can move virtual objects and so there's a whole bunch of different ways they do that they use visual cues they use little movements in your muscles which maybe you can't actually see uh, but they're there and then they use the eugs uh, the electrical signals um so so that's how they do it today but it only works for if there's a limited number of commands. So we can't tell you exactly what you're thinking, but it can tell whether you're thinking go left or go right because it can kind of measure when you train it. It can measure your brain. So, so yeah, I think eventually the Neuralink stuff is coming. Uh, right now, it's it's just a, mostly for reading, uh, but eventually they'll be able to send some signals in. I think that's where it gets a little scary at that point. Um, it starts to look more like a simulation because then how do you know? You know, how do you know that that's not a false memory that was electrically sent into your brain um you know i was talking about simulation stuff online you know the comedian uh, what's her name sarah silverman uh, i think uh, you know she 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 reinteracted a little bit and she was talking about last thursdays which is how do you know that the universe wasn't invented last thursday <laughs> and in a simulation you wouldn't know uh, those memories would be there and so this gets into a whole lot of questions about time and space and right what, it, what the past means in the future which is which is kind of what like why you maybe it's why you address the Mandela effect in your new book. I mean that you know I, I like how you kind of approach the Mandela effect and not just sort of sloughed it off as false memories. Speaking of false memories and last Thursday, I mean it's uh, I think it's more complicated than that. And is that why why did you decide to sort of include that? Yeah, so, you know, I'd written the, the book about the simulation hypothesis. I thought that was fun. Okay, I'm kind of done <laughs> writing about that. I'll go back to my career in Silicon Valley and academia and, <laughs> and not worry about this stuff. Uh, and then I, I met with a good friend of mine or a friend of mine from uh, MIT uh, who was working for Google. And I was living right nearby the Googleplex, their main headquarters. So he came down and we had coffee. And, uh, you know, he's not someone I would have expected to talk about the Mandela effect. And he says, you know, you should look at the Mandela effect. I said, well, why is that? I mean, I'd heard of it, like most people have heard of it, but most mainstream scientists will just dismiss it as faulty memory. And he said, well, your simulation theory is a good, <laughs> is, is probably the best explanation for, for how it could be happening. 
And so, uh, you know, he goes, but be careful. It's a rabbit hole. Once you go down that rabbit hole, <laughs> it's going to go pretty far. And that's kind of what happened. I, I started to go into that rabbit hole. And, you know, there was a movie in, in 2019 called The Mandela Effect, where, which was about all these different Mandela effects. And in the end, there was a quantum computer and he uses the computer to, like, crash reality to change the timeline and stuff. Uh, but, but that reminded me of my uh, conversation with Philip K. Dick's wife, Tessa. And, you know, she was telling me a bit about his, his speech in, in Metz, France in 1977, where he said, we are living in a computer programmed reality. And the only clue we have to it is when some variable is changed, some alteration in our reality occurs. Now, many people have heard that quote. He's one of the first to really talk about and use, even use the term the matrix. But if you, if you listen to the rest of that speech, he says, we would have a sense of deja vu. The only clue we would have is that it would feel like we were replaying the same incident over and over again. And that, his speech really got me thinking about what does time mean in a simulated reality. And it turns out, why do we run simulations? We run them so we can have multiple things happen. We can change the variable and we run it for a while to see what would happen. And then we run it with a different variable. And so if you think of that as a series of choices, turns out it ties to this idea of the quantum multiverse, where every choice we make spins off a different version of the universe. That's the multiverse idea. Uh, and you know, nobody knows for sure, but you know, Tessa told me that Philip K. Dick, he started to believe that you know, his novel, The Man in the High Castle, wasn't just a, a science fiction novel. Like There was actually a timeline where Germany and Japan won World War II, and they divided America between them. And, and he was having memories of that timeline, but for whatever reason, that timeline was unwound. And so that got me thinking about the nature of time in a simulation. You can run things as long as you want, and you can say, hey, let's run this Ukraine-Russia thing. <laughs> let's see what happens if you do this. Let's see what happens if you do that. And, and so Tessa even told me that he got in contact with these entities that he says were outside the simulation and they were programming things. Uh, and I asked her, well, what do they look like? Do they look like aliens? Do they look like... And she said, well, to her, she couldn't really see them. She saw kind of like a fuzzy glow or something. But, but he could see them and he was communicating with them. And supposedly they told him that they changed the assassination of JFK. So it didn't happen in Dallas, but then it happened in Orlando or it happened in another city or it ended up in a nuclear war. So no matter what they did, it just ended up in a worse situation. And so they let the timeline proceed. Uh, so that is what really got me thinking about you know, simulations and timelines, which is what the, the book Simulated Multiverse is all about. So, so the men, I mean, so why, why would these things be so, uh, so, so did any, did you have any sp personal experiences with the Mandela? Any of the examples that were weird? To well, you? you know, there's a lot of examples. I mean, yeah. I mean, my personal memory of things like Dark Vader, you know, saying, Luke, I am your yeah. father, yeah. you know, is, is uh, the memory that I have. But again, I was willing to write off a lot of these small, you know, these small, uh, Wait, that like changed too. Stones. <laughs> what does he say now? He just says, no, I am your father. <laughs> what? Um, as opposed to saying, Luke, I am your father. He just says, no, I am your father. <laughs> so no, it's a slightly different. he definitely yeah, says, yeah. Luke. oh, yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. If you go back and look at it now, right, that's that's one example. I and mean, there's the Bernstein Bears is another one. I mean, I certainly remember them being Bernstein as an S-T-E-I-N. And now they're staying S-T-A-I-N. 
And, and that's where I started to investigate this idea of, uh, like, how close you are to it, uh, proximity. Uh, so, for example, there are people in, you know, the evangelical side who say that their parents swear that the Reverend Billy Graham died, like, many years before he actually died. And, of course, the Mandela effect is named because some people thought Nelson Mandela died in prison in the 80s. But at least in our timeline, right, if you go and search, right, he was released from prison, he became president of South Africa, won the Nobel Peace Prize, and died in like 2013, I think. And so, like in this case, they say that their their parents, who are super devout evangelical Christians, you know, said that not only did he die, but they got the magazine that has him on the cover, they watched the funeral, just like people say they've done with Mandela. And so if that's something you pay attention to, then you're gonna you're less likely to make a mistake, right? If you have proximity to that. So in my case, I wouldn't know what your Reverend Billy Graham died, but right, if, right. if Princess Leia is still alive today, then I would know that. Right? <laughs> but she actually died a few years ago. They brought her back digitally in, in the, one of the Star Trek movies, like at the end of Rogue One. But that's a you know another virtual thing. Bruce Willis just licensed out his virtual image as an avatar, so he's going to be in movies for a long time <laughs> to come. Uh, and, and same thing with the Bernstein Bears. I mean, there are people who are wondering why the Bears were Jewish, who are Jewish. Now, I'm not Jewish, so I probably didn't have that conversation, but somebody who is, as a kid, would have had that conversation. And, and now they're not in terms of the spelling. So, so I found that, you know, that kind of stuff is, is, is quite, quite interesting uh, and is worth taking seriously, along with scriptural changes. There's another type of Mandela. And there's the, the famous line in Isaiah about the lion and the lamb, right? And if you go back to the King James Bible, now it says the wolf will lay with the lamb or something like that. It's different. But there are people who have like actual like quotes, they're physical objects on the wall that show like a picture of a lion and a lamb. Right. Uh, even though it's not there. At first I thought, well, that's just yeah, maybe it's a mistranslation. And they, you know, there's different versions of the Bible. But then, you know, the more I looked into it, the more people say, they have the same physical copy of the Bible they had when they were a kid, <laughs> and it's different now than they remember it. And so for those reasons, I started to say, well, let's do a what if. What if these people are actually remembering uh, a slightly different past? And that's what Philip K. Dick said. He goes, all we would need to do is to find a group of people who remember an alternate present or an alternate past. And that wasn't really possible before the Internet. So it was 2009 or 2010, I think, when uh, blogger Fiona Broome coined the term, the Mandela effect. And, and by then, the Internet was widely available that people could start saying, oh, yeah, I remember this, or I don't remember that. I mean, another one is Tank Boy. You remember Tank Boy, who was the uh, Tiananmen Square, 1989? Oh, that, yeah, 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 yeah. Now, so did he die or, or did he live? I don't know. And I, my proximity wasn't close enough. He died. <laughs> I think he dies. Right? So a lot of people think he died, but he didn't. He actually lived, at least in our timeline, right? <laughs> and But there are people who remember him being run over, you know, actually being run over by the tank. It's a very gruesome scene. It's probably not something you forget that easily. Uh, and so that was another one that I that I started to take seriously. And yeah, so yeah. So that's why I, I said, well, but, but, you know, it's not like just two timelines. People say it's just two timelines. It's actually not, because if you look at all these different Mandela effects, each one is like a binary right left or right if you think of it in a graph uh it's fruit loops versus fruit loops like with the oot versus right at bernstein bears darth vader the you have the movie with uh, sinbad 
uh, called Shazam, which never existed. Uh, but Kazam did, <laughs> you know, with uh, with, with uh, the other comedian, I forget his name now. Um, or it, it, yes, people, you know, Sinbad actually created a film in 2017, a scene of that film that everybody remembered him being in, even though he said there was no such film. So he kind of did it as a bit of a gag. <laughs> but okay, I'm going to create a scene from that movie. Um, but, but if you think of all those permutations, it, it's not like, you know, these people remember all of these, and these people remember all of these. Yeah. It's like a grid. Right. And so that's exactly what happens in a computer program. If you just fiddle with the little, you know, the little parameters, like, like all of chaos theory is based on this idea that if you make a small change in some little thing, it's going to affect, you know, have big changes down the road, like the butterfly effect. That's kind of where that comes from, where a butterfly flaps its wings in Tokyo and the stock market in New York crashes or something. Right. It's hard to predict exactly what will happen unless or- you go through it. <clears throat> Or when the baseball game is seven seven, the fucking economy crashes. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's, that, that's another one. <laughs> did you? I I came across somebody was telling me they were deep into the Mandela stuff, and they said that there was it was almost happening to people in the present as well. There was some examples of it, like almost happening in real time. Did you come across anything that was really close in time proximity? Uh, you know, I do remember reading some of that where it was something that had just happened. Or it was something that they themselves, yeah, like it was like a shifting Mandela effect. It was a weird yes, thing that's... where they remembered it one way, they wrote it, and then they remembered it differently, and they remembered writing it differently too. So it was there's there was a, a subset that's a little strange there. Yeah. You know? I mean, have you ever followed the uh, recent CERN admitting that they seek uh, they're seeking contact with entities like they're talking about? We predict that gravity can leak into extra dimensions, and if it does, then miniature black holes are produced at the LHC. Well, I've heard of CERN and the theory, and, and them talking about trying to create small black holes. But when I looked into it, when I was writing my book, you know, they said, "Well, we're not even close." To being able to do that so unless it's possible that's changed because it's been you know a year or two since i wrote the book yeah well yeah this came out i think it came out fairly recently uh october oh maybe not october 16th 2020 i thought it was more recent but yeah they're talking about what we mean is real universes in extra dimensions as gravity can effuse of our universe into additional dimensions, such a model may be tested by the detection of many black holes. But, and they're also talking about entities. Like, so, I mean, it is kind of seeping into, you know, if they're talking about leaking gravity and seeking entities, I mean, that's leaking into mainstream science. Yeah. And there, you know, there's a whole other version of the multiverse. So I've talked about what's called the quantum multiverse, which is, you know, every time you make a decision, it, it breaks off kind of like the old show sliders. But there's also other multiverses theories, which is more like one parallel universe or two parallel universes, kind of like in the movie, the show Fringe. Yeah, that was that I show? love that. Oh, I love that back in the day. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, yeah, it was a good show with uh, Leonard Nimoy it was uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> one of the characters. But there was like two worlds, right? Right. And there was a doppelganger version of them. But one of the ways that happens is through having like a black hole, like gravity, like a really strong gravity source. And so physicists have been theorizing about this for a while. I think it's now just kind of seeping out there where, where they're taking it perhaps a little more seriously now uh, than they have in the past. 
in the quantum multiverse you're talking about when when a decision changes like makes a new a new path or whatever is that decision is that supposed to be like a thought or or a physical decision like how big is that event that would would create a new new one well if you go to the original uh you know quantum multiverse idea it's it's the quantum level events right so So intention even like intention or thoughts kind of Intention or thoughts, as long as they affect some particle, right? Right. And so oh. it's really more about the particles, uh, which are the super small, like electrons and uh, even the particles. And there was a, a famous scientist named John Wheeler uh, who worked with Einstein and others back at uh, Princeton. And, you know, he came up with this phrase, it from bit. And and he said that he was looking for, you know, this thing called matter and, and Physics can't, physicists can't find it. <laughs> there is no such thing called matter. Because you, know, you think of the molecule, you think of the table, and it's mostly space. And you look at the, the atoms, and it's 99% space. And then you look underneath the electrons, and they're not really particles. They're like this weird thing that nobody understands. And then you look at the subatomic particles and the nucleus. And so he said everything, in the end, is just a series of properties. Yes, no properties, which are like bits. Right? So anything that's an it, like an apple or a computer is actually a series of bits of information. And those, that is what defines the particles. So anything that affects information is basically affecting the particles of the universe. And so, you know, this, that's what led to this idea that every, every decision that has been made, you know, uh, is, is basically creating a new version of, of the universe. And so that's where the multiverse idea came from. And that said, you know, I also think of it, as a graph, it not only goes out, but it also comes in and it merges back together. Because you know, if you think of a graph, you can go two ways and come back again. And, and so that's something that they don't really talk about, how these multiverses can affect each other. But you could theoretically end up at the same place, even though you took different paths. And that's, I think, what happens in the Mandela effect, yeah, yeah. is we come back together. So we're in this universe now, but some people came through it that way, and some people came through it through the other path. That's fascinating. How so, can we hack it? How can we hack the multiverse? Can we hack it? That's a good question. I mean, there's a great movie that came out uh, earlier this year. I don't know if you guys have seen it with uh, Michelle Yeo. called like Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. And that's my new favorite multiverse movie. Okay, um, cool. Yeah, we'll have to watch it. I, I think I saw it. Was it on Netflix or something? I think I saw it. It should be now. I mean, it came out in the theaters. But oh, yeah, okay. it should be should be streaming. I mean, it's been, it was in January, so it's been streaming for a while. But basically, it was you know in the Marvel multiverses and the, the superhero multiverses, Spider Man goes or Iron Man, and there's a different version of themselves in the multiverse. But in this movie, there's different versions of her, but she's like jumps. It's like mind hopping. I think what they call verse jumping is what you call it, where you jump into another version of yourself. And then suddenly, it's still you. You have your memories, but now you have the memories of that person, uh, that version of you. And then you jump back, and then you have those skill sets. And so I think there's, you know, there, there's two ways to look at this. One is technological hacking, right? And then the second is more mental uh, hacking. Because if we are conscious players of the game, so there's two, there's two versions of simulation theory. There's the RPG version and the NPC version. In the NPC version, we're all a bunch of AIs running, and we don't really exist outside of it. In the RPG version, we're like a player, and what you're seeing with each other is avatars, right? 
that are interacting with each other digitally. And in that version, it's almost like you stop playing one timeline. You know how you save a game and you load the other game <laughs> and you go back and you load the other game. And that's kind of what's happening here is the player is loading the other environment, yet they still remember the time that they played the last game. And so she was able to kind of bring those back. And I feel like, you know, we've all had these deja vu experiences where something seems, you know, like it's happened before. And I, I think there's a sense that we can pick up uh, these different versions of ourselves. Like one day I was walking at Stanford University, this was like a decade ago, and I just had this vision of myself being a, more of like a professor type. And at the time, I was just making video games and I was an entrepreneur. I didn't do the academic path. And it just kind of felt so real. You know, and it was as if I had taken, and most of my, you know, many of my friends back at MIT, they ended up getting a PhD and becoming professors. And so I almost saw a version of myself that was doing that. And I could kind of tap into it. And now I'm, you know, a professor and, and also working on a doctorate late in life rather than back when I was in my 20s. So it's almost like you can pick up these other versions of yourself and bring in certain qualities. I, I think, you know, uh, kind of a mystical way, if you will. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's uh, it's it's almost hard to tell between if that's manifestation or precognition. You know, which one is it? Are you creating your reality or sensing your future reality? I mean, because I, I I wanted to mention like when Darren asked about the hacking, and you mentioned it it it's 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 when you control when you change a bit or an it or a um, or a molecule or something. I mean, even just like Bruce Lipton's work and these people that are doing work on. Uh, what our consciousness can can create or co-create. I mean, like even just being in a state of gratitude changes your physiology. So even if you're in a different state of mind, maybe you are creating different pathways. Yeah, and that's how I think about manifestation. You know, it's you'll you'll notice like no rule of manifestation works all the time, right? <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of literature, there's a lot of books, there's a lot of self-help gurus visualize this and, and, and it works sometimes but it doesn't work other times and so why is that you know well one is could say you're not doing it right or you're too emotionally attached or whatever but the other way is i think that we have these different pathways we've kind of laid out for ourselves to say okay here are the more likely paths you might take in this life and so those represent different multiverses, if you will. And we've played them out. And so when we're manifesting, when it's easy, it's almost like we just navigate to the one of the ones that we've already laid out. Like, I mean, I can visualize all I want. I'm going to be an NBA player. I'm going to be an NBA player. But it's probably not going to work, right? Even when I was younger, when there was a chance of that. <laughs> but not really. I mean, there was actually a guy in my height. Spud Webb back in the yeah, 80s. I remember Spud. Yeah, oh yeah, I was you know I was a big fan. And he won the dunk contest one year there. That's right. Yeah, uh, and and you know I, I think I, I met him or saw him once on the train in Atlanta. <laughs> back when uh, it was like all these tall guys got on the train, and then there was one guy my height. And I'm like, wait, are you guys the <laughs> the NBA players? <laughs> uh, but but uh, you know another way to think about it is if you. If you can tap into that version of yourself that's already done that, then suddenly it, it, things just happen. And we've all had, had that experience where things just kind of happen almost effortlessly. Like, like I ran a program at MIT a few years ago for startups. And before that, I remember thinking, oh, wouldn't it be nice to go back to MIT and do something or maybe teach something? Or, and, and then suddenly, you know, this MIT professor said, hey, we want to talk to you and ask you about this gaming stuff. And 
the whole thing just happened so quickly and easily that it was very unusual. <laughs> um, usually these things take a year or two and we just got it up and running like that. And it was almost like it was one of those milestones. If you talk to people who've done hypnotic regression, right, like, like uh, in Michael Newton in the uh, Journey of Souls. I don't know if you guys have ever read that book from way back when. No, but I've heard of it. Yeah, I mean, he would arrest people not to their past lives, but to the in-between state. And he said, before you come into the life, you have a kind of like this, he described it like a technological, uh, like a TV where you could see these different lines and you could zoom in and say, okay, this is me on this path in New York. You know, but was he, but he was still like, that person hadn't been born yet. Right. <laughs> so what the heck was it that they were seeing? They could zoom in and see it as if it was actually happening. Right. Uh, and that was a pathway that, and, and you would say, these are the ones and these are the big choices I have to make. And obviously there's a lot of little choices along the way. So I think we have these storylines uh, that we, we have for ourselves as possible storylines. You know, like I could have gone and become a professor in my 20s. I didn't. But now there's another chance to do that again. Uh, and so I, I think that there's something to that. You know? Yeah, I agree. And the, the verse thing made me think of, because um, <clears throat> I do like how you approach consciousness extended consciousness in your book as well the last yeah. chapter on spirits the spiritual aspect of it you know i feel like that's really important to address that in a simulated uh, multiverse um uh hacking it like darren mentioned hacking it and and you hear you hear about these like only if we could bring our past life memories with us you know our past life experiences with us consciously because you've talked to these people that you like Michael Newton, and he talked about this limbo state. Um, and some people say you can bring that with you, but most of the time you just, you, when you get to this new life, you forget everything in the past. I mean, it would be interesting if you could bring it all with you. It kind of reminded me of that movie you mentioned about the, ver the you know, the verse jumping back and forth and bringing your memories with you. And if you could right. do that from your past lives. But I mean, I guess my, there's not really a question there. It's just kind of an observation, but I guess the question would be, um, since your first book and in the second book, how do you address extended consciousness in a simulated multiverse? Uh, well, you know, just following up on your, your, your first thought there about bringing back the memories with us, uh, you know, it, 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 it depends on the nature of the game, I think. And, you know, there's like uh, metaphors that are used in different uh, traditions, like in the Greek traditions, you cross the river of forgetfulness right, when you incarnate. And in the Chinese traditions, there's this the goddess of forgetfulness, Meng Po, and she brews the tea of forgetfulness <laughs> that you drink. Uh, and you know, part of it is you, you also need to forget some of it when you finish the life, especially if you have had traumatic experiences, to allow yourself to start again with the game. And I kind of see it like, you know, saving the game or restarting from scratch to see how you might do to, 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 to work on, 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 you know, that, that, that challenge again. But I think with extended consciousness, you know, thinking of it in a simulation, it kind of really opens up a lot of different possibilities. So when we talk about, are we communicating with the future? Are we communicating with the past? Well, in a video game, if you're outside of the game, and this is what Philip K. Dick was saying back in 1977. He, he used this idea of a, a metaphor of a, a closet with a bunch of suits. And he said that each suit is like a different version or timeline. <laughs> but you're outside of the timeline, and you can kind of try on this one. You can try on that one. But even things like remote viewing, 
which you know obviously which uh, we all know has happened but yet the materialists are like no no there's nothing to it that's all that's all bullshit right but that, they're still holding that line and part of the reason why is there's no mechanism to explain it right it's kind of like that hidden cookie in the technological synchronicity i talked about and therefore it can't be you know it can't be real because we don't understand how it works but well in a video game it's actually pretty easy so there's something called the camera the virtual camera in a video game and so if you play like you know, world of warcraft or one of these games you'll, you you can see it sort of first person where you're looking out of the eyes of the avatar or usually the camera is up behind your head and you can see it in a third person, but the, you know, the, your character is there. So you can actually see your avatar walking, which is different than how we, we, we are in this life for most, most of the time. Anyway, when we're not out of our body, right? uh, we only see it from our eyes, but it's pretty easy to change those X, Y coordinates, X, Y, Z coordinates of the camera. And so it turns out you can actually see what's happening in any other part of the world. If they gave you that ability to just switch the virtual camera to some other XYZ coordinates within the three-dimensional space. And, and so there's a mechanism now where that becomes not such a strange thing. It's just that we happen to be paying attention and playing this scene is where our avatar is, but it's pretty easy to just turn the camera somewhere else uh, in a video game. Uh, not so easy in, 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 in physical life, but yet there are people who are able to do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I like it. I love that. That's a good analogy. Darren, do you got any questions at all? Well, I think uh, I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, there's definitely a bunch of NPCs running around or some shit. I mean, <laughs> something's going on. It seems like maybe the simulation is just restarting until the nukes start flying or until, you know, I don't know what's going on, but it's, the timeline seems to be getting increasingly bizarre. Yeah, I mean, I have to agree with you there. It does seem like, and it seems like we we we, we like relearn the same lessons again and again, right? And there was, I saw something on social media where I forget what it was, it was a drawing where he said, well, you know, people aren't always insane individually, but when you put them in a big group, they do a bunch of insane things. And it seems like that's definitely the case here. Now, the question is, what is the purpose of the simulation? People always ask me about this, you know, and is it? to see if we will blow ourselves up. Perhaps that's the purpose. Or is it that we, to see if we can find and figure it out that we're in a simulation. There was a, there was a professor of philosophy a few years ago. He wrote an op-ed in the New York Times. He said, let's not try to figure out if we're in a simulation. Because if we do, then the simulators might say, okay, we got to turn that one off. <laughs> yeah, we haven't figured it out. <laughs> yeah. Or if you, um, if you've ever seen the movie thir- The 13th Floor, which came yeah. out in 99, the same year as The Matrix, did you, I don't know if either of you saw that. I don't think so. Does The 13th okay. Floor not exist, maybe? Is that what it was about? <laughs> well, that was what the title was about, but it was there was a company in L.A. in the 90s, which is when it came out. They were making a simulation of the 1940s, and they would go in, and the pe- most of the people in the simulation were NPCs. And they were just living their lives. But you could go in, the people outside could go in and inhabit one of them. And, of course, the people didn't know that they they were not in the real world. Uh, and the way that you know we, they would know is if they went outside of L.A. and they saw just a bunch of grid lines and stuff. But for whatever reason, they never thought to leave L.A. Like that thought didn't occur to those NPCs. 
And then he comes back to nineties and I don't, I don't think it's a big spoiler at this point. It's been 20 years. Uh, you know, and he finds out that he himself, the nineties is actually a simulation, you know, from somebody in the future. And then this woman comes in and sort of the love interest, if you will, in that movie. And she says, we made thousands of simulations and yours is the only one where you made your own simulation and you're using too much computing power. So we're going to shut you down. <laughs> and so, you know, the, it gets back to what is the nature and purpose of the simulation? You know, maybe the, it is to see like, like the, the nuclear war timeline that may have already happened with JFK and the Cuban missile crisis. It's possible that we had to redo that. You know, it was like a do over because it didn't go the right way. Interesting. I mean, did COVID help propel the, this whole genre of, uh, not genre, but industry of VR and gaming? And now that people are sort of, you know, almost working from home. And I mean, technology must have jumped through that in, in some ways, you know, even though it was hard to for regular businesses, I feel like it must have sort of propelled this space. Yeah, it definitely did uh, during COVID. So obviously people were at home, a lot of people were using Zoom, but video games really took off. Like it's it's almost considered a recession-proof industry in a way. Wow, yeah, Because yeah, people right. play, if you're sitting at home, you play video games. And so games like Fortnite and Roblox and others really got a huge boost during the time of COVID. Uh, and then virtual reality also, there were better headsets. Quest 2 came out. And now they have the Quest 3 that's uh, supposed to come out soon. And so they started getting smaller and better headsets. And so, uh, you know, if you've ever attended a meeting in virtual reality, it's different. I, I did it with my class recently. Uh, and it wasn't even like a full headset virtual reality. It was just on your screen. We're all avatars. And usually we meet on Zoom. And they were like, wow, this is different. I kind of like it. I can just get up, walk around, change my clothes. So I look different than, <laughs> than I do. And so there is some benefits there, and that's when this idea of the metaverse has become popular, you know, this last year. And, of course, Facebook changed its name to Meta, and now yeah. they're really pushing it. So, yeah, I think that really uh, – COVID and also the younger generation. The younger generation is already used to like, being in video games all the time. That's not like a weird thing to say. In fact, there was a, a survey done that said uh, Gen Z, I guess it is, so it's whatever the latest generation is, that they prefer – that they would almost prefer to spend money on virtual clothes right, rather than on physical clothes, especially if they're at home all the time. Right? And they, they'd rather just have the cool sneakers for their avatar rather than have them, you know, the physical That's, ones. Wow, that is really interesting how it shifted then. That's a good example. Maybe we could make some money in the metaverse selling shoes. There are. There's a company called Artifact that uh, created these NFTs of these virtual shoes, sneakers, and they sold to Nike for, I don't know how much they sold for, but it was <laughs> a ton of money. And Nike now sells, has sold like $185 million worth of, worth of these virtual, virtual shoes. What? Shoes. What? $185 million worth of code? Yeah, worth of these, you know, NFTs, non-fungible tokens, which are like collectible items. Uh, and there's a scarcity. And, you know, it's kind of the board age. Bullshit. <laughs> I mean, maybe you can explain away to me that an NFT isn't a total scam, but I can't figure it out. Well, so the idea of the NFT, I think, 
is is more interesting than the actual NFTs that have been sold. Right. I agree. So a lot of the NFTs that have been sold have just been like a JPEG. Right? And you know, even Elon Musk made fun of it. He's like, "Well, here's the JPEG. <laughs> I don't own it, but here's the JPEG." Right? But the the actual idea and the technology of the NFT is more of a tracking ownership tracking that says there's only X of these, and who owns those. And that is like a digital ledger, and that's what blockchain is is particularly good for. Like with Bitcoin, you could, there's only so many Bitcoin. Right? It's not like you can just keep printing Bitcoin like you can keep printing U.S. dollars. And so with the NFTs, it's an artificial scarcity. But when you create them, you say there's only this many, and each one is assigned an owner. And so it becomes a way of proving ownership of that item, and particularly when people spend more time inside these virtual environments. Like that's where I think it starts to get interesting because then you know you're buying a jacket or a sneaker, but you're actually putting it on your avatar and walking around, and other people can see it, but they can't they can't have it unless they buy it. And the way it works now, if you're in Second Life or Fortnite, it's just that company keeps track of who owns what, but you can't take those with you. So if if we have a metaverse that has different environments with lots of different companies, and you want to take the avatar around with that piece of clothes. There needs to be a way to track who owns it and who doesn't. Otherwise, everybody wouldn't be able to have it on there, and that's what you know, the technology could oh, be good for in the long term. That's yeah. fascinating! Holy shit! Pretty nifty. I was because I was going to ask you about <laughs> I was going to ask you about blockchain and decentralized currency and 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 data and whether it's safe because you hear you know people kind of saying oh you know it's not it's not the blockchain's not it's just a government thing it's not it's not safe but I mean I feel like if if it's done right it could be right yeah I mean I think you know the this is why banks are afraid of blockchain right? is is not because it's a government thing but because it's it becomes a way to get around uh, central, you know, central banks. centralization, yeah, basically because it's decentralized. And so if it's done right, this is what Bitcoin does, is you have lots of computers all computing this thing, and they have to agree. And so you know, if any one group wants to change something, they can't just do it. Like It has to be agreed upon by everybody, and that's harder to do. It's called proof of work. Uh, now there's a new model called proof of stake, I mean, some of the newer cryptocurrencies aren't, aren't fully decentralized, and so that's where I think you get into this, uh, the, the, you know, into this. I mean, but in general, like banks. I mean, I know people who, you know, Bank of America has kicked them out of the bank because they were trading this stuff, right? And why is that? It's because they're afraid <laughs> that you know things are going to move. I mean, China, what they tried to ban Bitcoin transactions, and they said you have to use our central digital currency. Right? That's where I think the, the, the worry is if it's a central digital currency. But they don't want people to use Bitcoin because Bitcoin is not centralized. It's decentralized. And it, you know, right now, China has all kinds of export limits. Like I remember I was, gonna, you know, I was working on selling my house in California. And you know, real estate in California is pretty expensive. This Chinese guy wanted to buy it. And he was like, well, I, I got to send you a whole bunch of different wires at $30,000 each. You know, I was like, what? <laughs> he was trying to get around all these different export laws, right? But with Bitcoin, you wouldn't have to worry about that. Right? You would just transfer it across borders and there's nothing the government can do, um, you know, once you've done the transfer like that. You know? um, now, if you use a centralized exchange like a Coinbase or something, then there's ways for the government still to be able to shut you down. Uh, and you're still subject to all these laws and terrorism laws and all the stuff that came with the Patriot Act. Right. That's kind of what I was getting at. Yeah, yeah. But you could use 
uh, decentralized um, bank uh, wallets, I guess, to to keep yeah. it to keep it secure. Yeah. Exactly. If you had your own wallet, would you like a physical hardware wallet? You can take it and then you can plug it in anywhere and so and centralized and and de- it's decentralized at that point. And you can transfer it to anybody else. And you know what? You can't get it back. This is where it's a little bit dangerous too. Once you send it, it's not oh, like credit it's card. It's gone forever. We've, uh, we've but that's why they hate been it. there. That's why. <laughs> yeah, you've been there, right? Been there. Riz, this has been great. Where can our listeners track down all your stuff? Where can they get the new book? Is there like a website or something they can get it instead of going through Amazon? Or, is, you know, Amazon mm-hmm. tends to get it all. Yeah, well, you know, it's obviously available on Amazon, but you can go to my website, zenentrepreneur.com, which is based on the title of my first book, which was called Zen Entrepreneurship. Uh, And from there, there's also links to local bookstores. I always like to have people support, you know, their local bookstores, or even even their Barnes & Noble chain is like a small company compared to Amazon. Uh, And so they can request it from any of those places. And if they're in like Boston or San Francisco, there's signed copies available at a, a few stores there that I regularly visit um, so they can check out my website or they can follow me on Twitter uh, at Riz Stanford, just like the university. What do you got coming up in the future? Are you doing anything uh, interesting in the future? Uh, yeah. So, you know, I've got a couple of books coming out next year. Uh, one of which is about, um, it's not simulation related, although it kind of is. Uh, it, it's, it's about, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Yogananda and his yep. book, Autobiography of a Yogi, which was, yeah, you know, was one of the, the first book. Indian the book, book right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so this is called Wisdom of a Yogi: Lessons for Modern Seekers uh, from Yogananda's autobiography, and it tries wow. to take some of the stories from Yogananda's book and approach them from a more modern perspective. Like Yogananda was modern in his time, yeah. right? He would like take the old ancient stories and he would update them, right? He would take the metaphor of a dream and he used that, but he said. You know, you've got to use the latest technology so people understand. He used the metaphor of a movie projector, right? He said that the world is like a movie projector because he was looking at World War One. He was asking his guru, "Why are all these people suffering?" This was back in 1914 to 1920, 1918, and and you know, he he had the realization that oh, it's like a movie projector. Yes, it looks like they're suffering inside the movie, but those are actors, and the actors are not dead, and so. This brings it kind of up to date with my ideas around video games uh, and simulations, and so so that'll be coming out, you know, early next year. Early so next year, cool. That's the next book that's coming. Yeah, out. right on. That sounds. We should talk about that. I'd love to. I'd love to read that. Yeah, when it comes out on audio, for sure, it's much easier for me to listen to the book. So. Yeah, I do a lot of audio these days yeah, as well. Yeah. So yeah, it'll definitely be available on audio also. So I'll let All you right. guys know. Yeah, yeah, yeah get a sure. text. Yeah, we'll, we'll do it again. Yeah. Yeah, Thanks absolutely. so much, buddy. This was fantastic. I really recommend your book to people. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, a, I, li- I like it. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks so much. And thanks for having me on. It's fun to be with you guys. Yeah, so you're, you're we'll do it again. Right on. <laughs> okay, Have buddy. a good night. Take care, buddy. And that was a chat with Rizwan Verk. What'd you think, buddy? Verk, well, I Verk, was Verk. trying to, I, was, I, I lost some show notes, I think, in our travels. I thought I wrote some notes, or maybe this is just a Mandela effect. I don't know. I thought I wrote some notes and I had a question about man, like manifesting things as we go as we go along and we start thinking of all these different ideas and thinking about things as a, as a culture and it kind of exponentially sort of grows with technology. Does that create all these different realities? But I, I can't even articulate it, so I just decided not to ask it. There you have it.
Yeah, but I like I I I love how original his chats are. Like he could just he just hung out with us for the first while, right? And and answered our questions genuinely, you know? Like we had a genuine chat. It's not just, you know, um the shtick. Shticky shticky shticky. Nah, Riz is a pro. I like like it. I remember our last chat was great too. Is this only the second or is it the third? This is our second with Riz, yeah. Second. Third hasn't happened yet. Well, big thanks to Riz Von Verk for coming on the show. Big thanks to you guys for listening. Even bigger thanks if you want to support us, Chris VR getting off PayPal. Uh, make sure you switch to Stripe, please. You know, uh, don't just don't just leave us. Or we, stay on PayPal for now. Or stay on PayPal for now, but there is Stripe right there too. But, you know, whatever you got to do, try and keep supporting us because we need to support more than ever. Uh, we've been, been losing a lot of support over this latest PayPal fandangle. So, uh, you know, do what you can. We'd love you guys for it. GrabAmerica.ca slash support. Check out our other podcast, GrabAmericaOutLaw.ca. Uh, audiobooks, all that stuff. You can get to all of that stuff from GrabAmerica.ca. little money on top. Bing, bang, boom. Away you go. All right. We love you guys. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. I sat on the Could see it all. Trickery was afoot, and evil was at its root. The people were scattered plots, not many could connect the dots. Some people stood tall, in spite of their righteous voices made small. down your phone your souls turn to stone the rhythm of the algorithm has driven a schism created this prison I'm shocked and appalled at the technocracy's gone pulling strings of marionettes Setting traps in cybernets Infinite scroll as addictive as cigarettes Cat videos for freedom of the press People that stand tall In spite of our righteous voices made small Put down your phone Souls turn to stone. The rhythm of the algorithm has driven a schism, created this prison. Double click on install. Rome's about to fall. This hard drive is corrupted, and our minds have been abducted. By a silicon dream so seductive When yelling at bots becomes unproductive People we need to stand tall In spite of our righteous voices made small Put down your phone Your souls turn to stone 
The rhythm of the algorithm has driven a schism, created this prison.